This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The world reacted with horror when a madman killed 50 Muslims worshiping at two mosques in New Zealand. But the world was mostly silent when more than 100 Christians were murdered by Islamic terrorists in a single month in Nigeria. Why so much attention and even overreaction to one incident and virtual silence on the other? I ask Islamic history expert Dr. Timothy Furnish about this on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. Today, Alliance Defending Freedom will file a powerful groundbreaking lawsuit against a local Ohio sexual orientation gender identity non-discrimination law that some say may become the most significant religious freedom case since Masterpiece Cake Shop. This lawsuit aims to protect small Catholic schools from stifling LGBT laws that cut into the heart of religious education. Last year, the city of South Euclid, Ohio, passed an ordinance similar to the Equality Act in Congress and the Ohio Fairness Act that's currently in the state legislature. The law imposes criminal penalties on individuals, businesses, and ministries that operate according to the teachings that marriage is between one man and one woman and that biological sex overrides gender identity. Every school, business, and ministry must open women's bathrooms to biological men who identify as women and celebrate same-sex marriage and transgender identity. The ordinance has no exemption for religious freedom or freedom of conscience. The Ohio Appeals Court yesterday issued a ruling that upheld the Department of Health's order to close the Women's Med Center, that's a full-term abortion facility located in the Dayton suburb of Kettering. The Women's Med Center failed to comply with licensing regulations by not maintaining a hospital transfer agreement approved by the Ohio Department of Health. The Women's Med Center is one of six abortion facilities in the country that openly conducts abortions throughout all nine months of pregnancy. The Georgia House of Representatives recently passed, 92 to 78, HB 481. That's known as the Living Infants Fairness and Equality Act that will prohibit abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detectable in the womb, which is as early as six weeks into the pregnancy. Current Georgia law allows abortions up to 20 weeks. Governor Brian Kemp specifically said he would sign the fetal heartbeat bill, claiming the law common sense despite recent threats from Hollywood. We stand up for the innocent and speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, Kemp tweeted on March the 29th. Several major movies and TV shows have been produced and filmed in Georgia. Hollywood writers and actors have threatened to no longer work in the state should the governor sign the bill. Last year, California Governor Jerry Brown vetoed a bill that would mandate abortion pills be provided to students on public college campuses. But just months later, in December, the bill was reintroduced. Now it's being considered by the California Senate Health Committee, meaning public college campuses are once again in danger of being turned into first-trimester abortion facilities. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at chapel. 
Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. This is World Lutheran News Digest. This is the Lutheran Vartha Parivadi Agunu. This is Lutheran Samachar. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. My guest today is Dr. Timothy Furnish, who is an expert in Arabic and Islamic history. Dr. Furnish, welcome to the program. Glad to be on, Kip. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been. Uh, you have quite a fascinating uh, background. You're uh, an expert in a number of areas, and I will also point out that you are an LCMS Lutheran. I am, and I'm president of my congregation here in Woodstock, Georgia, which I don't know how they talked me into volunteering for that, but I, I did. Yes, in fact, I went to Concordia Seminary. I was in the Army as an Arabic linguist. I uh, went to Concordia St. Louis, got an MAR, and then went to um, Ohio State and did a doctorate in Islamic history. I taught college. I uh, worked for a while for Special Operations Command as a consultant on uh, Islamic movements. I'm back teaching part-time and also trying to write some more books right now. Well, Dr. Furnish, the reason I wanted uh, wanted you on this program is... Uh, in, in recent news, we had that horrible shooting by a madman in New Zealand, killed 50 Muslims at worship, and uh, the world reacted with horror. I mean, look at what happened in New Zealand. I mean, the, the uh, prime minister there decided to wear a um, uh, habib, I believe it's called, hajib. Hijab. Hijab. And they were actually broadcasting the call to prayer over uh, state radio. Uh, and the following, and there was a you know, huge outpouring of sorrow and regret, and I think perhaps maybe some overreaction in certain areas. But at the same time, about a hundred Christians, actually more than that, were murdered by Islamic terrorists in Nigeria. Not a peep from the world. Now, as an expert in both Islam and as a practicing Christian, what's going on here? This is the Western paradigm par excellence tip going back now, uh, I would say, I would dare say at least to the 1960s, uh, certainly, certainly accentuated and exacerbated since 2001. The paradigm is that the rest of the world is the supine victim of Western civilization in general and Christianity in particular. And this has been foisted upon people by the left and frankly, by some in the Christian community for many years. I mean, there's a strong segment in the Catholic Church that voiced this idea, particularly under Pope Francis. It was a bit different under Pope Benedict, which is one reason why I miss the man, if I'm allowed to say that as a Lutheran. But many of the so-called mainline churches push this. It, it is the old idea of colonial oppression and exploitation. And, and not that there's not some truth to it, but I'll give you an example of how this plays out. Some years ago, I interviewed for a job at a large university here in the Atlanta area for Middle East history positions, a position, and I did not get the job. And one of the reasons I didn't get the job, I was deemed too conservative. Conservative being someone that actually reads the Quran and the Hadiths in Arabic and talks about what they mean. That's somehow construed as conservative in, in modern America. But in particular, one of the things I talked about that just left blank stares on the search committee's faces, the idea that many Muslims, this is based on uh, you know, solid research and some of the stuff I was working on at the time, uh, many Muslims considered, for instance, were colonized by other Muslims. The Ottoman Empire, which I'm sure you and many of your listeners know, ruled much of the Middle East for 400 years, 
In fact, arguably most of the Middle East, was a colonial power. They fought and conquered other Muslims, for instance, the rulers of Egypt. But, well, you know, when I brought this up in a context that I don't need to relate, in the search committee meeting that I had at this university, I was just met with blank stares and practically drool coming off chins. I mean, because to many, to most leftists, which is most of the American Academy and most of the American journalistic community and most of the intelligentsia in the Washington establishment, you know, the bad guys in history are always... The, the bad guys in history have always been Western imperialists, the British, the French, I mean, for heck's sake, the, the, the Romans. No, no idea that the Han Chinese were imperialists or the Ottomans were imperialists. You know, that's, it's just such historical ig, ignoramuses that, that lead this sort of charge. And this gets foisted on our kids. This is taught, this is part and parcel of what journalists learn. I mean, they learn a little bit about, you know, a few decades of history and they think they know everything. And, and, and so basically, they see, well, there was a British Empire, and the United States, uh, you know, has acted as an imperial power or interferes in other countries. Well, yes, but that's a very narrow view of history. This has gone on throughout history. And then, of course, the flip side of this is that many in the intelligentsia, the liberal elite, if you will, at least that's how they style themselves, are either non-Christian uh, or tepidly Christian at best, some of them, mostly non-Christian, and many of them actively hostile to Christianity. I mean, you'll see this, for instance, we'll hear reams about how you know unfair a conservative Christian state like North Carolina or Texas is when they don't allow transgender bathrooms. But yet, you will rarely hear, unless you do a bit of digging, that the seven countries in the world that have the death penalty for being homosexual are all Muslim countries and invoke and enforce Sharia law. So basically, what we're getting, what we have here, Kip, is a global view that most of the, the left globally agrees upon, and Muslim, the Muslim community, not all of them, but many of them are happy to latch on to this. The idea that Muslims are victims, Muslims are perennially victims. And then, of course, it's kicked up a notch, if you will, by the idea uh, that, that's constant, that any criticism of Islam, in many circles, the idea is constant, that any criticism of Islam is ipso facto racism, as if Islam were a race. I mean, the last time I checked, there's a lot of black African Christians, <laughs> Lutheran, Catholic, Anglican, Coptic. There are a lot of them. But you wouldn't know that from the media. You would think that Christianity is the white man's religion and Islam is the brown or black man's religion, which, of course, is absurd. But this, you know, this is fostered for political reasons. And basically what it is, it's an attack, on, as I said, to return to what I started with here, it's an attack on Western civilization in general and Christianity in particular. And it's a refusal to acknowledge reality, which is that Christians are clearly, has, has been noted in a number of venues over the last several years, but quickly pushed aside in terms of, uh, of, of most policy discussions. Christians are probably the most persecuted people on the face of the earth right now. Well, also, I'm looking at uh, this assassin, this, this fellow who shot up those two mosques in New Zealand. He wasn't representing any group. He, I don't think he even claimed to be a Christian. You know, and I know of no aspect of Christianity that says that we must kill for our faith. We could die for it, but I know right. of nothing that says we can kill for it. Right. This is not true in Islam. No, unfortunately, in Islam, there's a directive that uh, instead of uh, dying for your faith, 
uh, well, you can die for your faith, but particularly if you uh, if you are waging what's called jihad, fisabilallah, holy war on the path of Allah, then you are you get extra rewards in the afterlife. Whereas in Christianity, you, you may get extra rewards for being a martyr, not for killing someone else. So, yes, look, it's, 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 a, it's a militant religion. Is that the only understanding of Islam? No, but it is the mainstream understanding of Islam, going back to Muhammad himself, who led armies in battle and waged jihad in the Quran, which basically lionizes those who do. So, and, but as you point out about the New, New Zealand shooter, he had really no coherent philosophy. I read through some of his, his so-called manifesto, and he said that the uh, nation-state that was most similar to his ideas and ideology was the People's Republic of China. And he basically <laughs> seemed to be wanting to spark some sort of violent reaction against Muslims. He was against immigration, particularly Muslim immigration. He was, one could argue perhaps in a certain case, sort of a white nationalist, I guess. But then he goes and says that the system he likes, he doesn't say it's Nazi Germany or something. He says communist China. The guy's all over the board. It's not any part of coherent. I mean, I know of no current movement in the world anyway, in the world anywhere, that espouses similar ideas. I mean, it's horrible what happened. Uh, people were at worship. They're Muslims. They're, at least at the moment they were worshiping, they were certainly peaceful. And this shouldn't have happened to anyone. And then when I heard about it, I prayed for those people. Now, uh, that said, the fact is that the, as you correctly noted, I think, a moment ago, Kim, the overreaction to this has just been ridiculous. I mean, basically, New Zealand has decided they would turn themselves into Vimmies. Vimmy, D-H-I-M-M-I, is second-class citizenship under Islamic law. Women wearing the hijab, which, I'm sorry, is a symbol of oppression, not a symbol of empowerment or whatever it was Ilhan Omar called it. It's a symbol of second-class citizenship for women the Quran and understood to, to be mandatory in every major Sunni and, and, and Shia school of Islamic jurisprudence. It's not something that the fundamentalists made up. And you have the Prime Minister of New Zealand and other prominent women politicians in that country putting on the symbol of oppression in order that they, they're just showing how colossally ignorant they are. They're, you can show respect to people at the funeral without... Uh, you know, patronize. I think in some ways it's almost patronizing, but patronizingly dressing like them. I mean, this is on the order of Hillary Clinton whenever she comes to the South to campaign, which let us pray that that has finally ended. But whenever Hillary Clinton would show up in the South to campaign, especially in places like Alabama, she would suddenly start talking like she was from, you know, she was an extra in Gone with the Wind. I mean, uh, my, most of my black friends thought that was ridiculous, but for some reason the media always thought this was so cute and amusing. I mean, it's just ludicrous. Uh, we, we should have mourned the people that were killed. They should be protected. I totally agree with that. I don't agree with some people that would say that, for instance, that like Muslims should not be allowed to come to the West. I think they should. I might have a difference of opinion with some on exactly which sects of Muslims be allowed in. But, um, but that said, it is definitely, as you said, going way overboard for the call to, bre- call to prayer to be sounded. Um, uh, you know, I think there were some churches in, in, uh, in uh, New Zealand that said they were going to invite uh, imams to speak and read from the Quran. No, this is just too far. We don't need to read from the Quran. We can, read, we can find plenty in the New Testament to read about, about caring for people, but we don't need to read the Quran in churches, and we don't need... Western, Western societies do not need to turn themselves into vimmies, uh, uh, you know, as a means of mourning. 
I was reading an article on uh, Middle East Me- uh, the Middle East Media Research Institute where they had a uh, Yemeni professor studying in England who came up with a very interesting statement. It said that uh, ISIS followers, for example, were actually following the uh, the tenets of the Quran. They they didn't invent anything. They're they're doing what they have been told to do by their religion. Well, Kip, that's basically what I've been saying for years. Most most prominently, I was um, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have. This was the last time Fox News had me on. But Fox News about this time last three years ago in 2016 uh, did a special on war stories when Ali North was still doing war stories. It was called War Stories um, Fighting ISIS, and I was one of the people who was interviewed a number of times for that. And I made a point of saying, look, ISIS is not making things up. When ISIS beheads, when ISIS um, enslaves the Yazidi people who are um, non-Jewish and non-Christian, and, uh, and thus um, they were enslaving them, when ISIS uh, you know, tries to proclaim a caliphate uh, and enforces harsh Sharia law, they aren't making things up. They aren't somehow some extremist interpretation. This is stuff that's based on the Quran, the Hadith, the saying of Muhammad, and the life, the life of Muhammad himself, who ordered opponents beheaded. We know this according to Islamic sources. So basically what you have with ISIS is they really aren't extremists. They're Islamic fundamentalists. They're Islamic literalists. But they aren't doing anything that Muhammad himself, frankly, didn't uh, have done or order done, according to the Islamic sources. So they can, and this is one reason why it's so hard to eradicate and refute groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and al-Shabaab and the Taliban is because they basically tell their Muslim brethren, look, we are just reading the Quran and taking it 100% literally. We are therefore the good Muslims. You are not the good Muslims. Well, one thing I really have a difficult time understanding, Dr. Furnish, is uh, people who really should know better running to the defense of Islam. I'm thinking specifically of women and, for example, homosexuals. If they were living in an Islamic society... What would happen to them? Well, yes. I mean, as I said, every major uh, there are four major Sunni interpretive schools of jurisprudence, and there is one major uh, Shia one, the Twelver Shia one. And together, they are normative for you know ninety five percent of the world's Muslims. Those five schools, and every one of them says that homosexuals are to be killed. One of them actually says that if they're they're given a chance to uh, basically repent, then they should be allowed to do so. Basically, uh, they all are agreed that homosexuality is not just a sin, as the New Testament says. And yes, I know what Leviticus says about the Old Testament, but uh, I don't know of any state on earth that enforces Levitical code, including North Carolina and Texas, although, you know, some of the liberal publications might have you believe otherwise. But the uh, Islamic Sharia law is very clear that homosex- that the penalty for homosexuality is death. And this is just something that I know, I, either either the gay lobby in the United States ignores, or war is oblivious of, uh, and I don't know which one it is. Uh, but it's very much like about the thing with women. I mean, the Quran says specifically things that are very misogynistic from a Western point of view. One of the Surah Sur- 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 I think it's Surah Nisah, verse three and four, says that you are allowed that when your wives, plural, misbehave you are ultimately allowed to beat them. And it's, it's, uh, this, unfortunately, is part of Islamic law, which still exists in countries such as Pakistan and Yemen and uh, you know, Saudi Arabia and Iran. This, this still exists. It's, it's not been done away with. So 
I think a lot of this that you get with, for instance, gay activists and with, with women activists is they really don't know what they're talking about. They really don't know what they're defending. But it's sort of trendy to champion, you know, a, a, a non-Western religion and people, again, that are perceived to be primarily darker in skin, although, of course, many Muslims aren't. I went to Iran back in 2008. I've been to Turkey several times. Many of the people in Iran and Turkey are whiter than me, and that's quite saying something, let me tell you. But a lot of it is just ignorance, and it's trendiness. We like to pretend that we're... I think this links up with what I was saying earlier, Kip, this idea that the West is guilty. The West is guilty forever and ever, amen. Therefore, it is okay to kowtow to non-Western civilization and non-Christian religions, in particular Islam, because they've been so aggrieved, which is ultimately, of course, a joke, because this, this, this displays just a historically uh, colossal ignorance of history. And then, of course, we have the rise of anti-Semitism that I think is uh, part and parcel to much of Islam. And boy, talk about an oppressed people. <laughs> I mean, the, the, what the Jews have gone through is—and is, I am appalled that some flatly anti-Semitic statements coming from politicians have not been slapped down more hard. Well, that's because she wears a hijab, Kim. You can be sure that if she went to, uh, you know, St. Michael's Catholic Church or went to, you know— Timothy Lutheran Church in somewhere in Nebraska, she would be getting slipped, uh, slapped down really hard. Uh, no, this is, of course, Ilhan Omar, the Somali congresswoman from Minneapolis, which, by the way, Kip, let me mention, um, a few years ago, I was invited to speak at a, a large uh, church in St. Cloud, and St. Cloud, of course, is the epicenter of the Somali Muslim emigration, which was basically foisted upon the people of of that area of Minnesota by the um, by the Obama administration, uh, which clearly favored Muslims in immigration policies because the Obama administration decided basically was trying to quote unquote diversify the United States. So you have it's just west of Minneapolis, from Minneapolis to St. Cloud, you've got an area with something like eighty thousand Somalis. Um, one would think Somalis might find it a bit cold there, but anyway, that's what happened. And this was the same area, if you remember, I don't know, was it four or five years ago, in the large mall up there. A guy was going, a Somali Muslim was going through the mall and stabbing people that didn't know how to recite uh, the Shahada. Uh, uh-huh. And I remember I was at this, this I got invited to speak at this conference up there, large Missouri Center Church, and we had lunch, and and one of the ladies I was having lunch with at the table said, you know, my, my daughter was there with my grandson, my granddaughters, my grand, excuse me, one grandson, one granddaughter. And she said she had to go hide in the bathroom because this guy was, you know, coming down toward them. You know, why, why are there 80,000 Somalis in Minneapolis? Uh, you know, why, why, why is the United States being forced to accept larger and larger contingents of Muslims, at least it was. I mean, this has changed to some degree under under the, under the Trump administration. It's they have gone back to favoring the people that are actually the most persecuted in the Middle East, which is which is Middle Eastern Christians. So that 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 is one of the positives of the Trump administration. To get back to the original point here, Elhan Omar, she says things that are very negative of Israel. Now, let me say, I do think it is possible to be critical of Israel and not be anti-Semitic. Although there are some people that seem not to believe that. There are some that would say that any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic, and I find that a bit, I find that ridiculous. But the things she said are, are, are clearly, some of them are clearly anti-Semitic. Now, 
you talk about the rise of anti-Semitism. Now, that, it's usually how that's presented. I'm not saying you were doing this, but that's usually spot. That's usually how it's presented, as if it's coming out of you know ex nihilo, or the implication is that many of the journalist community, journalistic community do this. The implication is that there's somehow some connection to this mythical rise in white right wing nationalism that has appeared under Trump that they keep positing, but no one can find evidence of. I was reading an article just recently about uh, the supposed rise in anti-Semitic uh, attacks, and one of the things that was unpacked about it was that they were counting, for example, that Israeli teenager who had been voting in bomb threats all over the world right. to uh, send it. Anti-Semitic, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The methodology on that's ridiculous. If you see any organization gets its, its, its um, data from the Southern Poverty Law Center, you can just disregard it because it's garbage. They will count things like spray painting a bad name on the side of a building is the same as killing someone. Well, they may be uh, having some problems of their own right now. So, <laughs> Well, in Il- Ilhan Omar's case, and one could argue also in this, uh, the, who's the Democratic congresswoman from Michigan, that Tlaib woman, I'll tell you where it comes from, it comes from Islam. There is quite a bit of anti-Jewish, and to differentiate, you know, anti-Semitic can mean anti-anybody that speaks a Semitic language, which include Arabs. What we're talking about here is specifically anti-Jewish, traditionally called anti-Semitism. I I, I wrote a fairly large article about this last fall, which was published on Three Craters Symposium, and I pointed out one of the mythologies is that, well, even in the Islamic world, anti-Jewish sentiment really doesn't show up very strongly until after World War II, certainly after the 1930s, when the Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, Palestinian Arab guys, started palling around with, with, with um, Adolf Hitler. And then the implication is that anti-Jewish ideas of Islam are specifically uh, attributable to the Nazis. It's really not true that anti-Jewish ideas in Islam come from the Nazis. They may have been exacerbated. The Islamic sources themselves... The earliest Islamic biographers of Muhammad, the prophet, the founder of Islam, say that when Muhammad took over in the city of Medina, after having left Mecca, before he and the Islamic army went back and conquered Mecca, at one point Muhammad ordered between 600 and 900 of the men of the Jewish Banu Qurayza tribe killed. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Furnish. I do appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll be talking again. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.